After last weekend's performance, I feel confident calling the Denver Broncos this year's surprise team. Did we overreact after the Green Bay Packers struggled in week one? How much longer can Carson Wentz go with the number of injuries he's suffered? I'll shine the spotlight on all of that and more next on Stern Spotlight. Finally, we're starting to settle into football season. Feels amazing to have football games three days a week now. Obviously, Sunday's the big day with the full slates at 1 and 4 o'clock. But you also have primetime matchups on Thursday and Monday night to look forward to. And if that's not enough sports for you, you have the Major League Baseball playoffs starting in two weeks and the NBA season starting at the end of October as well. Buckle up your seatbelts, ladies and gents. We're in prime sports season, baby. And as always, we have a lot to cover here on Stern Spotlight. Every year, there's that one team or couple of teams in the NFL who seemingly come out of the woodwork and surprise everyone. Two years ago, it was the San Francisco 49ers who were a quarter away from beating the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Last season, it was the Buffalo Bills who went 13-3 and made it all the way to the AFC Championship game. Both teams took a step forward, largely because of good quarterback play. With the Niners, it was Jimmy Garoppolo. With the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen took a major step forward from year two to year three. This year, I think the surprise team is the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos have been a sleeping giant since winning the Super Bowl back in 2016. And they've been looking to get back to that level of success, not having made the playoffs since then. Defensively, there hasn't really been any question marks. And this year, their defense is primed to be better than ever. I have one of the best pass rushing tandems in the league in Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. Those two haven't played together since Bradley Chubb was a rookie a couple of years back. Chubb missed his second season with a torn ACL. Miller missed all of last season with a torn Achilles. So finally, they're back healthy and on the field together. And the back end of that defense is also as good as any other team in the league. It's led by an all-pro safety in Justin Simmons. Kareem Jackson is a great veteran back there. Now, I'm not going to go as far as comparing this team's defense to the no-fly zone that had Akeem Tlaib and Chris Harris a couple of years ago. But top to bottom, this is the best Broncos defense that they've had since winning the Super Bowl. And when the rich got richer and the Broncos took cornerback Patrick Sertan ninth overall out of Alabama, fans were clawing for general manager George Patton to take either Mac Jones or Justin Fields with that pick. But Now that's looking like a great decision. Teddy Bridgewater is having the type of resurgence year with the Broncos that could reinvent his career entirely. We all know Bridgewater went down with that gruesome knee injury with the Minnesota Vikings a couple of years ago and hasn't been the same player since. Was kind of viewed as a stopgap quarterback with the Carolina Panthers last year, but he truly got a fair chance to win the starting job both short and long-term this year with the Broncos when he uh, won a competition against Drew Locke. Now he's proving he can be more than a game manager. He's stretching the ball down the field. He's become a passing first type of guy. 
and he just looks really good out there. And as the saying goes, a quarterback is only as good as his receivers. Bridgewater has perhaps the best supporting cast he's had at any point in his career. He gets back Cortland Sutton, the team's best receiver, who missed all of last year with a torn ACL. And the depth behind him is great as well. You have another nice young receiver for Bridgewater to grow with and Tim Patrick. Noah Fant, the team's first-round pick out of Iowa a couple of years ago, is one of the better young tight ends in the league. And you also have Albert Okwebumnam. His name is obviously a tongue twister, but he's a nice number two tight end that the team took out of Missouri because he was Drew Locke's college tight end as well. In the backfield, Bridgewater has Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams lining up behind him. We've all seen what Melvin Gordon can do throughout his career in the league. He's a big bruiser type back that can wear down opposing defenses and open up the rest of the playbook as well. Javante Williams to this point looks like he's a similar type of back and more importantly, someone Bridgewater can grow with as the season progresses. The offensive line in Denver is also really good as you have left tackle Garrett Bowles anchoring that unit. So really Bridgewater has all of the tools he needs to succeed. I know this team plays in a crowded AFC West and you have the Raiders and you have the Chiefs and you have the Chargers. All three teams really should be competitive in that division. But there's no reason with that tough-nosed defense and that ground-and-pound offense that can also take the top off with some of those receivers shouldn't be able to compete. The schedule also gets progressively tougher after they have a home game against the Jets with the Ravens, Steelers, and then the vaunted Raiders on the schedule. But if this team continues to play up to their level of potential, they will be in the AFC playoffs come January. Write it down, write it on a piece of paper, write it on your wall, write it on your hand. That's how confident I am making a prediction about one of the teams that top to bottom is as good as anyone else in the league. Speaking of bold predictions and overreacting, how about the Green Bay Packers? I feel like after they got blown out by the New Orleans Saints in week one, everyone wanted to write them for dead. People were saying that Aaron Rodgers was washed up, that he wasn't motivated anymore, that that team is too old, that they can't compete in the NFC, blah, 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 blah. Well, against the Detroit Lions in prime time on Monday Night Football, they finally got their shot at redemption. And man, did they make it count. That was a total beatdown in all three phases, and that was the perfect thing to silence all of the doubters. Look, it was a very long offseason for this team, okay? Aaron Rodgers wanted to stay away from the facilities. Devontae Adams was having issues with the organization. At one point, it looked like neither player would suit up for the team ever again. But just as football season came closer, they finally got that itch to come back. And when both of those guys are on the field healthy, playing together, anything is possible. Let Monday night's results serve as a reminder to everyone that quarterbacks, too, are allowed a bad day at the office. This man had only five incompletions in the entire game. He was 22 for 27 with four touchdown passes. Make no mistake about it. Aaron Rodgers is capable of leading this team to the Super Bowl. 
And even if we don't get that type of unworldly performance that we saw on Monday night, Rodgers at 80% is still better than most of the quarterbacks in the league. What makes this Green Bay Packers team so dangerous is their explosiveness on the offensive side of the ball. When this offense is working in unison and they're establishing the run and setting up the deep ball with the pass, they're virtually unstoppable to the point where they can put five or six touchdowns up on the scoreboard. No matter how good the other team's offense is, that's always going to be difficult to keep up with. I'm not saying the Packers don't have any flaws. Defensively, I think there's still a lot to be desired. At cornerback behind Jair Alexander, a lot of the other guys, whether it be Chandon Sullivan or Kevin King, have struggled. Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage haven't been great back there as well. As we saw against the New Orleans Saints, That comes into play when you're facing an explosive passing offense. I'm not sure they can stop a team like that. And as good as Rodgers is at making the guys around him look better, the Packers don't have really good depth at wide receiver either. Obviously, you have Devontae Adams, but behind him, your two best receivers are Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Equinus, I'm sure I mispronounced his name, St. Brown. You also have Robert Tanyan at tight end, but you don't have that type of big play threat, large target that can be a number one receiver for Rodgers. So if Adams goes down, you risk potentially having to lean more on the running game. I'm not sure this Packers team can win on the ground yet. Still, I think Monday night's performance was enough to reassure everyone that the Packers are not gone yet in the NFC. On Monday, simply beating the Lions wouldn't have been good enough. In fact, I think if the Packers only won by a touchdown or 10 points, some people would have been even more concerned. Beating them down in commanding fashion should give people reason to believe that they can replicate this performance going forward and can carry the momentum that they generated into games against better teams. So as long as the Green Bay Packers stay healthy, and keep their key players on the field, they will be a tough out. I talk about all the possibilities with the Green Bay Packers if everyone stays healthy. At this stage of his career, Carson Wentz has a very limited number of possibilities, and at this point, I think his best option would be to hang it up right now. And I hate to sit here and have a knee-jerk reaction to his latest injury news. But after another setback, how much longer can he really go? And it's not unusual anymore for quarterbacks to hang it up early. Look at what happened to Andrew Luck, who also played with the Colts. Anytime a player has suffered seven major injuries throughout the course of their career, it's concerning. It's even more concerning when that person plays quarterback, the most important position on your team. It's very rare for teams without their starting quarterback to win games in the NFL. You need that guy to stay healthy and be available. And all seven injuries have been to different parts of his body. You can't just isolate one joint and try to rehab that or find a way not to injure that body part. He's impossible to protect out here. He had the torn ACL during his MVP caliber season in 2017. He had the back issue a few years ago, which required surgery. Now he has a sprain to both ankles. Unfortunately, 
It just seems like this guy is made of glass and he can't stay on the field. Over the years, Wentz has been really good about trying to prevent injuries and he's been vocal about it, trying to make himself less vulnerable for major hits, staying in the pocket more, not running as much. He's taking all of the steps to try not to get injured, yet somehow injuries are finding him anyway. And at 29 years old, I have to imagine that all of these injuries have taken a massive toll on his body. I don't know how much longer you can continue through this endless stage of rehab and then getting hurt again. Eventually, enough has to be enough, and Wentz just has to accept that maybe he's not able to stay healthy. It's unfortunate, but it's the truth. Even when Wentz has been on the field, he struggled. We haven't seen him return to 2017 form, and his performance is a large part of the reason he fell out of favor in Philadelphia. He struggled with holding the ball too long. He was inaccurate. At times, he seemed like he got caught up in his own head, which is understandable given the number of injuries he's had. Wentz was off to a decent start this season with the Indianapolis Colts. And theoretically, with Frank Reich, who is his offensive coordinator in Philadelphia, this was the perfect spot for Carson Wentz to turn the page and finally get on track. But even though he's with a new team, the struggles haven't changed. I know the sample size is small, but in each of the team's first two games, he had a bad turnover and had all of the same issues he had in Philadelphia, which leads me to believe that he's not very coachable. So even if he is somehow able to make it back on the field, I don't know how many of the deficiencies in his game can realistically be eliminated. Wentz's upside and the positives in his game was enough for a team like the Indianapolis Colts to take a chance on him as their starting quarterback. But going forward, even if he's healthy, I think the downsides and drawbacks in his game outweigh the positives. Anytime a quarterback is turning the ball over, missing a wide open receivers, and making bad decisions, it's not a good thing. When they're hindering the team's progress consistently and everyone's job is on the line in a financially driven industry, it makes things even worse. And because Wentz has been so undependable on the field, I don't know how much longer teams can justify banking purely on his potential and a possible lack of desirable destinations going forward. Those where Wentz has the opportunity to come in and earn the starting quarterback job with a given team are going to be few and far between after what's transpired in Indianapolis, which is another reason Wentz should potentially consider retiring. It's starting to reach the point where universally, he's not viewed as a starting quarterback anymore. Although I want to root for another comeback story and see him return to the field after a devastating injury, he'd be better off calling it quits now before things get even more ugly. I love talking about the NFL during the season. There's always so many compelling storylines and things to monitor, situations that you can speculate upon, but it's that time of the show where I make a lateral pivot and show some love to those in the college football world and I want to talk for a second about the Michigan State Spartans who are quietly becoming one of the better teams in college football 
and finally have a chance at winning the Big Ten. See, in years past, Ohio State has dominated in the Big Ten. They've won the conference four of the past five seasons, and no one's been able to get past them. But this year, things just feel different. The Buckeyes are now in year two of a transition under new head coach Ryan Day, and Justin Fields has moved on to the NFL. So if there was ever a time when this program was vulnerable, it's right now. And Michigan State is coming in hot. The Spartans are fresh off a victory against Miami on the road that got them the 20th seed in the latest Associated Press ranking. And one of the reasons I think they're such a successful program this season is their head coach in Mel Tucker. Tucker coached under Saban at Alabama. He was a defensive coordinator under Kirby Smart at Georgia. The University of Colorado went and hired him, and after he went 5-7 and seven in one season there, Michigan State came out with a dump truck full of cash and doubled his salary. Well, now he's showing why they were so eager and anxious to pay him that amount of money. The team looks really good. The veteran experience on the roster is finally showing. And more importantly, this program is proving that they can challenge for a top spot in the Big Ten East. That's not something we saw consistently under Mark D'Antonio. But I think in this situation, the changing of the guard from a more uptight type of older guy to a younger, innovative, energetic head coach was beneficial for this program. It felt like they had gotten kind of stale. And as we've seen with Saban at Alabama, Dabo Swinney at Clemson, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. Anytime you have a big-time head coach in the game of college football, regardless of who your opponent is, you have a chance to win on that day. And I think Tucker's ability to get that team up, disciplined, physical, motivated, and ready to go on game day, in large part, is what's giving them an edge right now. And that offense has been humming along like a well-oiled machine. They're averaging just under 40 points a game, and that's not against bad opponents either. Sure, I know their second win came against Youngstown State, but they opened against Northwestern, and then they played Miami on the road in their third game. That's not exactly a cakewalk so far, and more importantly, it looks like Peyton Thorne is really coming into his own as the starting quarterback. Not only has he been able to complete the ball all over the field, but he's done a great job of protecting the football. Doesn't have a single turnover yet. In Michigan State's season-opening loss to Rutgers a year ago, they turned the ball over seven times. Ball security goes a long way, folks, and they also have a great trio of receivers to throw the ball to. Jaden Red, Jalen Naylor, and Trey Mosley are as good as any other receiving core in the country. So offensively, they have all the tools to succeed. And when you look at their schedule, I know they still have to play Ohio State and Penn State towards the end of the season. You circle those games at the beginning of the year because you know they're going to be tough dogfights. But the next couple of weeks, they have Nebraska at home, they have Western Kentucky at home, and then they travel on the road to play Rutgers. Right now, I'm confident that this team gets to 6-0 and is eligible for a bowl game halfway through. 
Not having to play Iowa or Wisconsin, the two bad boys of the West, is also a sigh of relief. And if you're really in the habit of looking ahead, only three of their remaining nine games are against ranked teams. And after beating the big bad boys up in Ann Arbor last season, I ain't scared of Michigan either. Cade McNamara hasn't looked great at quarterback, and Michigan seems like they're kind of a program that's on the decline right now. Jim Harbaugh's had issues there for years. So you have to like where the Michigan State Spartans are sitting, and their threat to unseat the Wolverines is the best college football team in the state. Although they're in my spotlight already, all Michigan State needs to get back into the national spotlight is another win against a ranked Big Ten team, and they will get there. That's all I have for this edition of Stern Spotlight. Make sure to like and subscribe on Anchor. Even leave a comment if you feel so inclined. I'll be back again cooking up hot takes on another edition of Stern Spotlight.